Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Hey, Assurance of Pardon listeners, seems this summer we've been sharing with you a lot of episodes that Gage and I have done as guests on other podcasts, and this episode is one such such example. Our friend Corey Pelton is a minister in the Presbyterian Church in America and a rural church planter in the Appalachian region of the United States. He has a podcast about rural churches called One Horse Town, and he recently had Gage on to discuss rural church ministry and what Gage and First Presbyterian Church are doing to reach the rural context that they are in in Dyersburg, Tennessee. It's an encouraging conversation, and that's why we're sharing it with you now. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to One Horse Town. It is a video cast, podcast um, of rural church development in southern Appalachia. And the purpose of this is to interview um, small town rural church planters or pastors in the hopes that um, anybody who might be considering uh, going to a, a smaller place um, might um, be encouraged discouraged, seek the call uh, that God would have on them, and also uh, to help uh, those who are already on the field um, in, in, the, in the trenches uh, to be able to think through um, their their particular places, and, and may, maybe this would be a help that the Lord would use to uh, encourage and maybe give them some ideas about pastoring in these places. So this um, this morning, this morning here, um, we have with us Gage Jordan. Gage is the pastor of First Presbyterian Church, Dyersburg, Tennessee. Welcome, Gage. Thank you for having me. We're excited to be here. Good, good, good. Okay, so First Presbyterian, must, you, you must live in a really big place. No, I do not. So Dyersburg is the county seat for Dyer County, uh, and uh, we are uh, a great metropolis of 17,000 people. So we're we're bigger than a than a town, right? A town would be be less less than ten thousand people, but we are not quite a city. So, um, yeah, interesting so distinction. I haven't heard that distinction before. Huh? I like, yeah, that. yeah. So when you think about like uh, Jackson, which is about forty five minutes from us, it's got Union University there. They have sixty thousand people, so we are a third of the size of Jackson. Uh, or even where I where I came from in Conway, Arkansas, about thirty minutes north of Little Rock, Conway's you know seventy five, eighty thousand people, um, especially when the all three colleges are there, right? Um, and we're we're a fraction of that. So yeah. So when you when you talk about that population, is that is that Dyersburg proper? Or is that county? Or is that what is that? So that's the actual city. So the actual you know actual area, Dy- Dyersburg is um you know and they would call themselves the city of Dyersburg right so the city of Dyersburg um is 17,000 and then you've got as, as the county seat and then everything like 10 minutes outside of town whether it's Finley uh, uh whether it's Newburn um Dyer you know any of those places all all of those areas are going to be significantly less populated mm-hmm. 
Yeah. The suburbs. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah. that's the, that's the County. I, I live right. inside the, I live inside the city, but that's the go. County. Yeah. Well, uh, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and how in the world you got to Dyersburg, Tennessee. Absolutely. So I grew up in West Memphis. So again, a great, great, huge metropolis that it is, 23,000. Now that is west of the Mississippi River. Yeah. So there's a bridge that connects Arkansas to Tennessee, the way I always explain slant to people. And I lived on the Arkansas side. Um, So I'm still in Arkansan. Go Hogs. Um, But uh, so I grew up in West Memphis and uh, went to Conway for college and met a pretty girl and stayed. So we lived there for about 15 years. Um, grew up Southern Baptist, uh, but I had a youth pastor introduce me to John Piper. You know, that's the gateway drug to reform theology. And so um, started studying and, and kind of, you know, learning about reform theology in the early 2000s, like 2005, 2006, this is at the height of what was called the Young Restless Reform Movement, right? YouTube became a thing while I was in college. Facebook became a thing while I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Paul Washer's famous youth sermon went viral. The Passion Conference started. Together for the Gospel became a thing all while I was in college, right? So we were all kind of growing up under that atmosphere and and reading all those guys so I was progressively kind of leaning that way anyway, while I was going to uh, Central Baptist, which is a, a small Baptist college that's a part of the, the Baptist Missionary Association, uh, heavy, heavy um, in uh, dispensationalism, heavy, heavy in um, some of them would lean what's called landmark, meaning they they're going to trace their churches back to jesus to determine whether or not literally literally like a family tree that their church is the true church um so i didn't know that at the time when i when i enrolled i just thought it was about just college that i could afford right and so so we went but i met met my wife she went to university of central arkansas um and we lived there for 15 years after college we got involved in a house church mm-hmm. and we were we did ministry in a trailer park for about six years uh, learned, learned, a, learned a lot that, that my, that my Bible degree didn't teach me. <laughs> and, and, um, but it also, we were real heavy kind of in social justice at that point. Right. So that was really a big part. And what, what happened there was as we got older, that was in our early twenties. So, so we, you know, I joke with people, we deconstructed before deconstruction was cool, <laughs> right. We were raging against the institutional machine. Um, and then we got older, started getting married. And our availability to do this house church format the way that we were doing it um, wasn't working. Our, our volunteer time was going down and the demand was going going up. And mm-hmm. so we were starting to kind of get burnt out. Well, during that time, I had built relationships with uh, the local PCA church uh, in town um, and met Kevin Hale. You know, Kevin sure. um, and met his elders and they met his beard. That's right. Yes. Uh, met it, met his elders. One elder in particular, Rob Holden, became a Christian during the Jesus movement in the 60s. And so he was like, son, I've already done this. Like, let me let me let me walk you through where wow. you think you, you are right now. Wow. Um, and so that was really helpful because as we were kind of burning ourselves out, you know, and trying to think through. How do you do church and how do you do worship? 
relationship and what's a doctrinal statement and all of those things, mm-hmm. right? We rec- recognize very quickly we didn't have to reinvent the wheel that historically there was something there for us. And and really we were we would joke with people we were a sprinkled baby away from being a Presbyterian anyway. Um so one night we actually invited my buddy Michael Kidd and I invited Kevin over to Michael's house and yeah, uh, like a good Presbyterian, our negotiation with him was if we buy the beer, will you come explain baptism to us? Right. And he was he was in on that. And so that's how we kind of came into Presbyterianism, really. And we our house church dissolved and kind of the families, a lot of them assimilated into the PCA church in town. Wow. Um, and and that's how we became PCA. Uh, I had the, you know, I was working full time. I, I had th- until this job, I've always been bivocational. I felt a call to ministry when I was 15 mm-hmm. um, at church camp through a, pa- a sermon on Isaiah six and um, had always had a job and was doing some sort of ministry. Mm-hmm. And so I had kind of the the option at this point to do I go back to school and pursue maybe a teaching degree? Because you could do a where you taught at school and got your degree at the same time, right? Or do I go to seminary? Well, the PCA requires that you have a master's degree or the equivalent of in order to pass the exams. And so that kind of made my decision for me, you know. Um, And the best thing that Kevin ever did for us, I will say this, is the first year we were a part of the church, he, he we weren't in charge of anything. You know, we had been leading this house church and we're kind of, you know, burnt out. Sure. And we weren't in charge. We were literally church members for the first year of the church, which was great for a lot of reasons. Because I realized there were a lot of things that, that I had assumed or I had learned. And there I, was, I was way more burnt out than I realized. And I got to just kind of sit and be a church member. But then after the, afterwards, we actually pursued ordination of the PCA through LAMP. So that's under the our mission North America agency. It's it's actually built for bivocational guys to go one class every six weeks. You do all the lecture listening and you're you're getting lectures from Covenant and Ligonier and RTS and WTS and you're reading all the books and all that good stuff. But you're doing it within the local church with the local church pastor. So we did it with Kevin. And then we we were examined just like everybody else was and it actually is approved at the general assembly level. So it meets the requirements for ordination. So I worked a full-time job and then I would wake up. We would do class two days a week. So I go to class at 6 a.m., get done with class at 8 a.m. and then go to work. And Excellent. And that's, a, that's and, really helpful. You know, I, I know a lot of guys <laughs> when they, you know, not to knock uh, institutional seminaries at all. I think they're right. incredibly valuable, but sometimes guys will leave the places um, to go to seminary and not go back. And uh, we've got a young guy here that's doing lamp seminary and it's just been, it's been really, really beneficial. He's, he works full time, has a family, can't afford to go that's off right. else. And it's, it's been a really good option. That's good. Well, and, and you, you know, as we think, and we'll get into this, as we, as we think about, what the rural church context is going to need. Yeah. Just like just like you were a foreign missionary where it would be nothing to hear an African missionary raising up indigenous leadership there at his location because they can't leave their country or leave, you know, leave the continent of Africa necessarily 
to go to the closest seminary. They may not be a closest seminary for them. Right. right. That we don't think anything about that. Right. But then we, in the States, sometimes we do weird things with like their sacredness in, in Jackson or Charlotte or St. Louis or, or Philadelphia. And those are great schools, right? right. We, we love right. those schools. We, we use their resources for LAMP, right? right? But but we're doing the exact same thing here and trying to raise up indigenous leadership. So I, I did LAMP, got ordained through the PCA. Um, and then it kind of came down to it's time to get a job. And mm-hmm. um, my wife and I actually had a, we, you know, we were kind of getting advised by Annie and Kevin about what they did when it was their time to decide what they were doing. And we went on a, we had a date night where literally we put a map of the United States up on a, on my laptop. It was just like, okay, sweetheart, where are you not going to move? What's, what's not <laughs> on the table? What are, what do we think? You know? And we kind of negotiated that. Um, I applied to uh, churches and here's the, the funny part. This is God's providence. I applied to 11 different churches kind of all at the same time, just started sending out my, what's called the MDF, right? Your, all your data and sermons and things and resume. So I'm, I send that out to 11 churches the week before COVID started. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, and I was actually contemplating even doing a church planning assessment at the time. And then literally the pandemic hit the next week. And I was like, well, I don't know that I'm, <laughs> this is going to, that takes church planning off the table for the moment. Cause we're all inside and wow. isolated to our house. Um, but, um, 10, 10 of those churches emailed me back some variation of, Hey man, you know, we don't know what's going on. We don't know if we're going to shut down. We don't know if we're going to, you know, put a hiring freeze on everything or what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So sorry. The one email I got back was from Bill Evans, my former uh, senior pastor. And he said, Hey, I don't know what's going on. We're going to be up in a couple of months. Stick with me. And I, that was different, right? Um, and the way that the, it was kind of funny at the time, my wife didn't want to move. She was like, miraculously, somehow, you know, Christchurch is going to get a big endowment and they're going to be able to hire you and have a second staff member. And we're not going to leave Conway. We've lived here for 15 years. We love this place. And then God just started changing her heart. She's actually the one that she was looking online at, at job because we had a shared Google doc of like potential job listings. And she looked at one that I'd sent her and she literally was like, this is your, this looks like your job. This looks like you. Have you looked at this? I hadn't at the time because my buddy, Michael, it was interviewing or in the early stages of interviewing. And I didn't want to step on his toes. Michael then calls me after a phone interview and says, Hey, Bill's a great guy. I can tell philosophy of ministry wise, we're not going to, we're not going to mesh. This is your job. I'm wow. pulling my name out of the hat. Wow. So now, now my best friend and my wife have both been like, this is your job. So Bill then emails me, you know, Hey, we're working on this, trying to figure this out. That's about Easter of 20 of 2019, I guess. Um, 2020. <clears throat> and, um, Michael, uh, ended up his wife and, and, and he had, uh, their fourth child and, uh, he had just taken a call in Mississippi, but he couldn't travel because Bree needed to recover. And so I ended up preaching at the church where he had taken a call the first six 
weeks of his ministry. <laughs> and then, and, and then I get a, then this is about mm, July at this point. And Bill and I had set up a phone interview now because churches are starting to maybe possibly open up. Um, and the first time Bill and I ever talked, we talked for an hour and a half, like clicked. Right. And he said, okay, uh, this is what we're going to try to do next. And so they invited me to come to Dyersburg in August. And at this, this point, in our town at that point, August of 2020, we were um, one of like five churches in town that were actually open. Right. Right. Actually, actually meeting. Mm-hmm. And Dyersburg is a pretty conservative town. So, you know, the response to COVID reflected the politics. <laughs> sure. Sure. But, but the funny part was at the time there's a, there's a, in our town, there's a County mayor and there's a city mayor, Right. So there's city mayor and then there's a mayor of Dyer County and they share offices in city hall. Right. One was a Republican. One was a Democrat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, and and the funny thing is in small towns, that's not as much of a vitriol thing. They're in rotary together. They're in Kiwanis together. They Mm -hmm. play on church league softball together. They, they talk trash to each other, right? You're a dirty liberal or whatever. Right. Um, but now you have it in the city. The only conflict you had there was we played a uh, musical face mask for like about right. six weeks. Uh, are we, we're wearing a mask. We're not wearing a mask. We're wearing a mask. We're not wearing a mask. Right. Depending on who passed the, the ordination or the ordination, the ordinance first. Um, and so, so I get to Dyersburg, um, got to preach there. Got to meet with the elders. That was it's been a weekend with them. Katie was like, I think, I think we're we're in. Wow. By Monday I had a I had a job offer before I'd left town. So the so we moved in August of 2020. I was the assistant pastor of youth and families. Um and then um about a year and a half in. The, originally bill was like hey i think i want to t- retire around 70 i'm 65 now in like five years i'm gonna retire well lots of things happened one covid war you know wore every pastor down because right. every decision we made was the wrong decision about everything right he also had gotten so had some health issues some COVID related, some not because he caught COVID twice and his dad passed away during, during my like first year and a half here mm. that kind of led to him wanting to retire a little earlier. He was, he was pretty weary. And so in October of last year, I, I got voted in and installed as the senior pastor here at Dyersburg. So, so August will be three years here yeah, in, yeah. here in the town. Yeah, fantastic. What a is <laughs> watching God's hand of problem, you know, and, and again, I, I think that I think that really helps to um, just we are not on our own figuring this out. Uh, That's right. If you're being called to a small place, if you're being called to a large place that that the Lord is in it and opens doors and mm-hmm. uh, that's a fantastic, fantastic story of, of how you arrived there. That's great. Um, well, tell me about Dyersburg. What? What is it like? What's unique about it? What's um, interesting? 
it's industry what's what what is it like so it is heavy in agriculture um that probably is the number number one industry i would think at this point it used to be manufacturing lots of factories Hmm. um but with kind of the turn of you know industry yeah, that was always the big thing, especially in under Trump's administration, right? He wanted to bring the factories back because literally business owners to try to cut costs were, were shipping things overseas. Right. Well, when, when that happened over the last, I'd say 10 years of the, the town's history, they've lost about 7,000 people mm. because from like the late nineties, Really, I mean, even further than that, last 20 years, even 20 years plus from the late 90s on, though, there were there were a lot of factories. There was a huge cotton gin. There was a huge textile uh, place. Those fa- factories slowly have um, gone overseas, gone to Mexico, you mm. know, that sort of thing. And some have come back, but it's not as much as it used to be. But the the city also, um, Dyersburg has been around uh, since. Uh, let's see this the this county this year is the the bicentennial. So the county itself is two hundred years old. Wow. Yeah. Uh, next, I think twenty, I think twenty twenty four twenty twenty five is Dyersburg's bicentennial, right? So since eight eighteen twenties. Is when the town was founded. So that's pre Civil War, just to kind of give you a a, sure. a a timeline. The church, First Presbyterian Dyersburg, has been around since 1854. So originally it was downtown. Um, and it was, and if you go back, because there's, if you go walk in my campus at the church, when you look at the plaques and you look at the names on the wall and look at things, the the founding families of the church are also the founding families of the town. Mm-hmm. Right. So um so the town is resilient, right? It's been it's been doing this since the 1820s. Mm-hmm. But it has seen with the the times as things went more tech driven and as factory owners wanted their to pursue their bottom line the factories have dropped agriculture still remains because we've got plenty of farmland, right? With soybeans and, and corn. And the fun part is you could be driving in town. You'll drive past a shopping center. And then the next field is field corn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, right, so, right. so there's still some of that, like literally, uh, you know, woven into the fabric of, of the lay- layout of the town, but agriculture is a big part. You're also seeing, though, as the the generation change in leadership happens, sure. we're starting to see a little more modern uh, amenities, right? Um, a lot, lot bigger industries are starting to come. We started a farmers market downtown. Mm. They're, they're recruiting bigger con- con- uh, bigger companies like Starbucks and Dunkin' and, and are starting to kind of come to the town. So there's there's a little bit of an influx, um, but you're battling lots of things. You're battling people remember when it was, it was factory driven. And now that the factories are going away, what that's kind of produced unintentionally is kids graduate high school. They go to Mississippi state or they go to Knoxville or they go to 
Jonesboro and they don't come back because right. what degree they're pursuing it, it may not be able to find a job here. Mm. But what you also have is as the boomer generation retires and, or gives business away or passes away and, 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 and now the Gen X uh, generation is inheriting businesses. Mm. They're thinking differently about development in, in the town. And so now you're starting to see between them and the, the elder millennials taking over the town, what they've seen in other towns are starting to come to Dyersburg. So it, it's, it's been a, a little bit encouraging. Yeah. Um, well, it is town, really, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of proving itself over and over yeah. again that it's a resilient town. Dyersburg figures out how to make it work, right? They figure out how to survive really. Uh-huh. And it and it's looked different over the years, and I think, but I think it's in a influx where that's going to happen for them, especially with mm-hmm. uh, what's called Blue Oval City coming in about forty five minutes for us. So Ford is putting a huge plant about uh-huh. fifty mi- fifty miles away, mm-hmm. and that's gonna they're going to build electric trucks. They're going to hire about six thousand people wow. to to be a part of this this uh industry that said for every one job ford hires they typically bring in six so we're potentially looking at an influx of about twenty five thousand people about 45 minutes from us wow and and the the only schools and places to live are either covington or us right uh and dyersburg's known for its schools it's got three really great schools dyersburg city schools are good the county schools are great and then our church has a classical Christian school that was started in the 90s, and we have about 175 kids that are on my campus uh, during the school year. Um, so, so there's there's potential that right. that's coming. Right. Uh, right. It is it's a very conservative town, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 Trump 20, 2020 and Trump twenty twenty four flags have not left <laughs> uh, the entire time during during our. Our They're team. here too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, sure. and, and, you know, um, Conway was not that way. Conway is a lot more progressive. The median average, median age in Conway is 35, right? Uh, Dyersburg's not, that's not the case. But I will tell you the big differences. I can go into any school in, Dy- in Dyersburg and talk about Jesus and no one says a word to me. Right. right? During the pandemic, when we were trying to navigate meeting spaces, Mm-hmm. There was a lot more freedom to pursue figuring that out without, do you not care about people, you know, and kind of right. the fear mongering that we're not, that now even the Washington Post and everybody else is backtracking about how, how overzealous they were. Right. Um, so that that's a part of the makeup too. Um, the church, the County has 200 Dyersburg uh, itself, not the County Dyersburg itself has 200 churches in town. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's mostly Cumberland Methodist, Cumberland Presbyterian, right? Methodist. Cares, yeah, charismatic mm-hmm. uh, or Baptist, right? Now you know non-denoms are involved in that, but you know that a non-denom is just a Baptist church with a good website. So, <laughs> like, so I also exist in a context where people have no idea what a Presbyterian is. Even though our church is here. Right, right. Yeah. 
And we're, we're a smaller church. We're a church of 65. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, we're just fortunate because of how long we've been around. We've had some families over the years, donate land, donate finances that have helped sustain, sustain the the work of the church. Um, But I, I absolutely exist in, in a, in a context that doesn't understand our theology doesn't understand our church structure, doesn't understand liturgy, anything that, that I do. A lot of them think I'm Pentecostal. They get Pentecostal and Presbyterian confused. So that always makes for fun conversations. So that gives you kind of an idea. Syllable, about the same amount of syllables in each word. So I guess that, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So um, what is the reputation of the church and the community? You know, thinking of uh, some of the founding founders of Dyersburg, those names still being in the church, what is the reputation of the church? Yes. Yeah, so, yes, I know you can't know it. Yeah, so actually a lot of the founding families um, have moved off. Mm-hmm. Like their, kid, their kids' kids have, have gone on. We do have some families in the church that like one, one church member, I think Miriam, uh, her dad was the pastor here from 1953 to 1973. So she's still here. She moved here when she was six. She's, wow. she's been a church member ever since. So we have some of those families who, you know, their husbands were elders, widows whose husbands were elders or dads were elders here. Um, the I think for the most part, the community for a long time thought we were we were the school because of the school started right. in the 90s. And a lot of people knew the school is the Christian school in town. <laughs> they didn't they thought the whole thing was the school. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Or they think we're a really big church because our campus is really big um so we've spent a lot of time trying to build brand awareness i I, so i'm using my the stuff that i've i did when i was in sales when i was in seminary the networking aspect right i I was involved in the chamber leadership program uh this past year to try to build relationships with people we started an american heritage girls which is the conservative alternative to the girl scouts yeah, that's yeah, actually because that, that, that was I thought that was really interesting what happened. Yeah. There. So we wanted a, a, some sort of outreach program. We didn't think we had the the bandwidth for um, mops. We did, you know, we're only sixty five people, on, and our volunteer base is small. And mops um, is what mothers of what mo- mothers of pre- mothers of preschoolers. Mm-hmm. So that's always a big program. Um, it's funny the the week we decided not to do it, the a local Baptist church in town picked it up, and it was like, well, that was for them anyway. That's great. Um, and they do a great job. So um, we wanted to do some sort of outreach. We were exploring American Heritage Girls. Um, and we held an interest meeting the week that we held the interest meeting just to see if the community was interested at all. Because if they didn't care, then we were wasting our time. Um, the local chapter for the city for Girl Scouts dissolved. Like, the the new curriculum came down, all the leadership quit. And in our town, scouting is a big deal. Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, like we're talking th- three or three and four four generations worth of Eagle Scouts and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and all that good stuff. Wow. So for them for them to make that decision wasn't light, but it was also a pushback of like, hey, we're not gonna we're not gonna do this. So the the night that we held an interest meeting, 18 moms showed up and another probably 20 were like, Hey, we're interested. We just can't make it to the meeting. We immediately signed up 37 girls. Uh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 
Yeah. And so here in a couple of weeks, we'll start another semester and open registration back up. And I'm sure we'll have more because we were turning people away because we didn't have the adults to cover the the kids that we had. Wow. Uh, yeah. So that's that's but that's been a big deal. Right. Uh, I'm also a member of Rotary. I'm a Rotarian. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I'm crazy passionate about polio, but because I'm trying to be in the town. Right. I want I want us to have a a presence in the community. Um, when we do our, our back to school, um, event, just to kind of kick things back off, I'm going to try to do it at the farmer's market this year. Cause I want yeah. us just to be in the community. So we're trying to do some things like that. We've also partnered with, uh, juvenile justice. Um, so basically when a kid gets in trouble in school now, he gets assigned in our town in public school, he gets assigned anger management and community service. Mm-hmm. Decent idea, but the problem is we don't have the mental health facilities to offer those services, and we don't have the businesses willing to let you drop your kid off and come serve community service hours without an adult present, and most of these parents are single moms that are having to work, right? So we created this program. I basically, they said, would you do an anger management? It was actually another Rotarian. Would you do an anger management program? I said, well, I will. I'm a preacher. This is a church. I'm going to do a Bible study. That's all I know how to do. Um, I got one drum. I got one message. <laughs> I'm going to do one thing. Um, yeah. If you're cool, then I'm cool. I don't want an email later that tells me I can't say this or can't say that, can't do this. They said, we just need a letterhead that says little Billy comp- completed anger management. I said, deal. Small town. You could, I know. You could not do that. All I, I, I couldn't do that in Conway. Right. right. And Conway's right. not, not a great metropolis. I never was able to go inside to have lunch with any of my students the five years I was in Conway. Wow. Right. Mm. Um I versus now I have the, the mayor's cell phone number. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the just the, the drastically different which, now which mayor? <laughs> <laughs> both. Both. I both. Both. <laughs> I have both. Um so we started that. And now we have uh, about 30 kids, give or take, that go through this program. And basically what they do is they come to class. They come Wednesday night meal. They go to youth group that covers X amount of hours. They do that 10, 10 weeks in a row, covers their 30 hours and their anger management class. And the hope is if you come to my church 10 times, you'll probably stay, right? I'm just... I, again, I'm applying I'm applying what I learned in sales. I'm, so yeah. many tu- So many touches hopefully gets to you know trying to build a rapport build relationships that's that's what we've seen uh, honestly and that's been the lord i mean we couldn't have done that if we tried you know just like the the american heritage girls thing we couldn't have done that if we tried so um you know you're sort of delta ish area uh is is it what's, what's the what's the racial makeup yeah so that's 70 percent white Mm-hmm. Um, another, I think it goes probably 70, 10, 10, 10, 70% white, 10% African-American, 10% Hispanic, 10% Asian. Are some of the, the, the girls, guys going through anger management, girls going through the scouting program of different race? Most, most of my anger management kids are African-Americans. So I've got, really? I've got a majority African-American youth group and I've got a majority African-American youth group with kids that 
The days of the Bible Belt and the assumption that everybody knows Christianity are over. I know you've heard people say that, right? We're in a post-Christian society. Literally, these kids have never had a Bible. They've never heard about Jesus. They know nothing about Christianity. They've never been to a church. Um, So like when I say, hey, guys, let's open up to John. The one kid that went to church with his grandma and halfway knows where John is has to holler out the page number so the rest of the kids can figure out where John is. Right. That's beautiful. Oh. Yes. So that's exactly where we're at. But it's also in our context the re- that even though we have great schools, the reading level is not very high. Right. Probably the, a- right. the average reading level is about eighth grade. So what that's forced us to do, whether it's in student ministry and thinking differently there, or it's even in the liturgy. You know, I'm leaning towards possibly teaching preaching out of the NLT, right now instead of the and I love the ESV. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to find a modern version of the confession mm-hmm. and the shorter and the larger to use in liturgy because mm-hmm. I think the I think the content is great, right? I gave vows to uphold that doctrine. I believe in it wholeheartedly, right? But if I start using Shakespeare language. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to miss them. Even our membership vows. Absolutely. They're not (laughs) going to understand what I'm saying. It's not that they're hostile against it. They literally don't understand. So I could say all the, I could get up there and pontificate, you know, and, and recite whole sections of the confession for the affirmation of faith and they'll read it. But even reading it, it's kind of funny, right? We're in a sanctuary that seats 350. They built it in the nineties that big for some reason and i got 65 people and they're spread out so we go to do the confession of faith and row eight may be on one line row 10 will be on another line and they're trying to kind of you know stumble their way through the language so it's forced us even to rethink how we do that wow you know okay so so i've got there's one minute left here how is the (laughs) church responding yeah um i think they're they're intrigued right all these kids started showing up at first they were like what's what's going on you know we had we had some community kids that were coming that that parents went to other churches they've kind of quit coming Mm. a lot of them unfortunately and i hate that Mm. um i don't don't know all the reasons why so i don't want to put blame and things but you you wonder things but at first it was curiosity and then they started asking questions and then some of the older saints started started giving money. Hey, buy these kids Bibles. Hey, make sure they're fed. Right. And so that was huge. We're starting, we saw, praise God, for the first time in a long time, we got over 70 in worship Sunday. We had the most visitors Sunday we had had in a long time. Wow. You know. Um, and it's because we're building relationship with this blue collar contact. Okay, so how how has the church responded to uh, your these these outreach efforts? Uh, I think there's a lot of curiosity uh, there. You know, when the when the kids first started coming in from the anger management program, we had some community kids who's who were involved in student ministry. Uh, parents went to other churches. That's kind of faded away, and, and I've got mixed feelings about that. To be honest, you know, on the one hand, I want them to be involved in the church where their family is. On the other hand. You start your mind starts to wonder why they they left, sure. um, especially given the demographics of our kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, our older saints were curious. They started asking questions. 
and then they started supporting Mm-hmm. Um, right. I had one, one church member, give me a check, say, go buy, go buy these kids Bibles. Had a, had another, give me a check for whatever we needed to, to do. Here's, here's money. And they, and they've done that. And they've been very supportive in that sense. Um, you know, when you're a small church, just like any other church, the volunteer percentage is always down. And I, so I do wish we would have more older saint involvement, especially with American Heritage Girls. We're not quite there yet. I'm hoping this next semester will prove to be um, more fruitful. Um, I, but I think they're also in, you know, we're starting to see with the relationships we're building, especially with the blue collar context um, in, in our, in our, area because of that's the demographic for a lot, right? We do have doctors and dentists and very educated people. Um, they're very smart and very brilliant, but we also have a huge population that just got a GED or high or diploma and their reading level is low and they work in factories and they work, you know, blue collar. And so we try to build some relationships with them and make Presbyterianism accessible without compromising uh, you know, what we believe and why we believe it. But we've seen, you know, the influx of that. We saw for the first time with had we got over 70 in attendance for the first time in a very long time, several, yeah. several months. We had the most visitors we had had in a very long time um on Sunday. Uh and I'm and I think it's because of the relationships we're building. Uh we're gonna start, we've been going through Psalms of Ascent this summer. We're going to go start John in August and it's going to be a little, probably a year long stint through John. Good. Um, and we're going to go through the NLT to get there to try to teach the narrative. And I'm, I'm borrowing from John Bunyan for the series title and calling it come and welcome to Jesus. And the, because not only do we have in our context, the blue collar, but we also have, because there's 200 churches, just like on a large scale, there's been a big, big you know documentary about hillsong and whatnot we've had church splits here mm. just like just like you've seen nat- nationally right. the method the methodist churches are splintering out of that you've got my former boss uh is actually his dad and his dad were methodist ministers in town growing up and he grew up in this area about 75 of them are meeting at the chamber of commerce each Sunday and he's preaching to them while they try to figure out what they're doing next. Wow. Wow. Um, you know, the local non-denom in town, the big church has split six times since I've been here. Um, one church, one church plant is meeting in the sportsplex. One couple of them are meeting in houses. A couple of them are buying, you know, trying to figure this out and moving downtown. But out of that, you've got a huge chunk of people who were members of these churches that don't know where to go now. So trying to figure out a space to how to bring them in has also been a big deal. And I think our church is in, is is intrigued. Mm. The one the one thing I wish we would have done on the front end is had a little more honest conversation with our our people about um, we're very much in a revitalization mode. Um, and I, and I know that that's hard to hear, but if you can kind of get your mindset around, mm. we're, we're, we're replanting, we're in a revitalization mode, you, you get kind of, you start borrowing from church plants and that, and their outreach efforts and, and strategy. 
And that changes the way you become more outward focused. And I think we're, we're in a season where we're in the early stages of thinking through that. Mm-hmm. That's good. You know, it's interesting that, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do here is I'm out in the community a lot and I, I, I enjoy, and I think it's important for me to tell those stories to the people that I have gathering together so that they, they some some modeling outreach and it sounds like you've got some hands-on modeling that's happening that you didn't even plan on with that's the, right uh with the church uh, struggles and within the community the 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 uh, girl scout program the uh anger management i mean you know so maybe you know i'm sure this is true of larger churches too in larger cities but it sounds like a small town pastor, there is almost a need for them to, to be fl- very flexible because you don't know what's going <laughs> to, you don't know what's going to come. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, and I tell guys, and this is always my pitch for, you know, I love Keller to death. I love Timothy Keller read most of his stuff. Um, But one of the things that Keller did was push, push, push city, 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 city. Right. Yeah, right. Um, I tell guys, especially guys coming out of seminary, you need to give a second look to the rural context because what you you become almost a Swiss Army knife of of, of ministry. Great and I, description. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I literally have more askings of me in ministry. Can you come sp- speak at our camp? Can you come help with SCA and the high schools and the college? Because we have a community college here. Can mm-hmm. you come do this, 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 and this? I have more asking than I have bandwidth to say yes to. And I wish I could say yes to all of it, but I can't just because, you know, you only got 160 something hours in, in a week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but literally the harvest is plentiful, but the workers of few could not be more true in a rural country. Yeah, I mean, don't you think that, I mean, that a lot of people think through rural ministry, small town ministry is that, you're going to be sitting in your office all day long. You're going to be bored to death in a small community. And the no. opposite can be true. Yes. Um, and, and you can have larger impact over a shorter amount of time. Yes. Group of people in a small town. That, that's the hope. Yeah, that is the hope. Mm. That is the hope. Yeah. Um, and But you also got to be ready for it, right? Like, um, and you got to learn, you know, a buddy of mine used to joke that one of the Beatitudes that you know, John talks about, if I'd recorded all the things that, that Jesus did in the three, three year period, I wouldn't be able to contain a library with all the books. My buddy of mine jokes that he's a rural church pl- pastor in Missouri, even in a smaller t- town than, than I'm in. And he jokes that one of the Beatitudes that got, didn't get recorded was blessed to the flexible. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Cause you do, you do like, Right. I had no idea. I had no idea about how to do an anger management program. I know how to do a Bible study, right? Um, I have no, I had no idea about Girl Scouts. I went to one Boy Scout meeting when I was a kid and there was no den mother. And so the kids were running around crazy. And, and my single mom said, nope. And she took me and went home. <laughs> and I, ne- I never got involved in Boy Scouts ever again. I had no <laughs> idea about that, right? I went to, I went to public high school. Do you know how much I knew about classical Christian education when I became a board member? <laughs> nothing. I knew nothing. Right. right? right. I'm, I'm pounding the podcast and I'm I'm, re- I'm listening to audiobooks, trying to consume as much as I possibly can uh, to try to catch up. 
but that's that's pastoring in a rural context. Right. Uh, I, it's it's going to the diner on Fridays. I have a men's breakfast that I get this kind of developing organically on Fridays in this hole in the wall cafe named Todd's. I love it. We have a, we have a men, men's small group. You know, we have the small group at a bar in town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, where I go prep my sermons, not in my office. I go sit in the bar. Uh, and, a, and it good. and it blows their mind because there I am with my laptop and my commentaries and my Bible and my Dr Pepper sometimes or beer or whatever, and they're like, "Are you are you perfect?" Like one guy came up to me, "Are you working on your Sunday school lesson?" I said, "No, I'm a pastor. I'm working on my sermon." He's like, "And you're here?" I was like, "Yeah, I am. Just trying to be present in the community." So excellent, excellent. Now, I was I sat with lunch yesterday with a pastor who, who he himself is in a small town in North Carolina and he you know is just talking about the small communities where there were there was a PCA presence and we're losing some of those places um the pipeline is small for guys and I just man I want to beat the drum of if you're thinking about pastoring um if you're thinking about your first pastorate or your last pastorate small towns yeah. are worthy of your consideration uh, yep. yeah, uh, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. The Thank Lord you, sounds like he's blessing your ministry and, and very, very thankful for you. Uh, you know, it's instructive to me, uh, to hear what the Lord is doing in, in your ministry there. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And Gage, thank you. All right. Talk, Talk to you. All right.